If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Gabby. And I'm Rob. And this is Dark Origins Podcast, a podcast where I tell Rob about the inspirations behind all mediums of art, so movies, TV shows, books, etc. And today we're going to be talking about the inspiration behind the book Little Deaths by Emma Flint. Emma Flint? Yes. Is she from Flint, Michigan? No, I have no idea, actually. Okay, yeah, I don't think she is. I was just making a really dumb joke. Yeah. But I lived there, you know? Yeah, I know. It's close to your heart. It is. It's also where my mom is from, so, and all my mom's family, so. True. So the book Little Deaths is a fictionalized version of basically the story. So it does have different characters. It's not like a biography or a nonfiction book. It is technically fiction. Okay, But it is very much the actual story. Right, right, right. So- you know, if you have this book on your bedside table and you're reading it right now, just a spoiler warning, that's all. Yeah, yeah. But I think that she adds enough, you know, extra details and all of that to make it interesting, even if you already knew the story that inspired it. Okay, okay, cool. So the story, sorry if you can hear our dogs fighting slash barking in the background, they're just playing. The story is inspired by Alice Crimmins and her family. So I'm going to just start talking about the day that everything began to happen. Yeah, that sounds good. Just to create the setting for everyone so everyone kind of has a good idea, a good understanding of where this is all happening. Right. This 
all happens in New York. New York City or New York State? New York City. Alice is originally from the Bronx, but oh. she's currently living in Queens when this oh, happens. Oh, okay, okay, okay. What what time frame did this take place in? Like what decade? Is it new? Is it old? This takes place in 1965, and I'm going to be beginning specifically on July 13th. July 13th, 1965? Okay. Yes. Okay. So... Alice Crimmins had a very busy day that day. She was the mother of two young children in the middle of a heated custody battle with her estranged husband, Eddie Crimmins. Her and Eddie had been in a relationship for a long time, but things started to falter after they had kids. Hmm. She was upset that he wasn't home often and spent most of his nights either at work or out drinking with friends. And he was upset that she didn't want to have any more children probably because she was feeling hopelessly alone and raising the two they already had. She's doing all the work and he's like, let's have another one. This yeah. is easy. Yeah, because they were both raised Catholic. So right. for him, that was, you know, it was very important for him to have a big family. It probably was important for her too in the beginning. But after realizing that she's going to be doing this all alone, it seems. Right. She's like, I can't, I can't. This is not for me. Do yeah. Well, not even this isn't for me, More but like. isn't for me. Yeah, like it's just already too hard. At least not with him. <laughs> right. If you had a partnership, it might be easier, but they didn't have a, a great partnership, it doesn't seem. Okay. She decided to get on birth control, and apparently he found it and decided he couldn't be with her anymore. So she got on birth control behind his back, and because she's not feeling safe in the relationship, he's, you know... Wanting more kids. She doesn't want more kids because he's not helping. Like the dynamic is falling apart. Yeah, exactly. And they're moving towards divorce. Sounds like. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's really sad. It's a bummer. Yeah. So back to the day of July 13th, Alice had taken the kids, Eddie Jr. and Missy, aged five and four respectively, to Kissina Park. I think that's how you pronounce it. Kissina. Or Casina Park, maybe? Casina. Earlier in the afternoon to enjoy a nice picnic on the sunny summer day. After leaving the park, the trio stopped at the grocery store to pick up food for dinner, which Alice cooked while talking to her attorney about the ongoing custody case. She was nervous about her chances of retaining custody for a few reasons. She had been dating other men since separating from her husband, which seems like a somewhat normal thing now i mean people have different ideas of when it's okay to start dating right. other people but i think a lot of people think if you're separated if you guys are getting a divorce and you're just waiting for the paperwork you're not together anymore it's usually okay to date not everyone thinks that but i think a lot of people do yeah i mean no comment yeah i think you're right and, and that's all so for us yeah not that big of a deal but it was considered very promiscuous by 1960s standards, especially sure. for a woman to do it. Absolutely. Furthermore, she felt that a previous nanny of hers was basically blackmailing her by claiming she owed her $600. And the nanny said if she received that money, she promised Alice she wouldn't testify against her. But if Alice didn't pay her that money, she said she would testify to the fact that Alice left her children without warning to go on a trip to the Bahamas with her new boyfriend and some of their friends. Was that true? Yes, that was true. That did happen. Alice says that she didn't mean for this to happen. I didn't she, mean to get on the airplane. I, I really No, didn't. on a boat, on a boat. Sorry. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> so they get on the boat and she said she thought they were just going out for a day. But then 
her boyfriend at the time playfully locked her and a friend in like the bathroom or something and just took them to the Bahamas with them. That's what she says happens. <laughs> They're just women. They don't have anything to do. It's fine. Right. Yeah. So or what? I mean, I'd kind of be okay with it if somebody did that to me. Right. And it's not like she just left them. I think she got a nanny. I'm pretty sure she hired this nanny right. to watch over them. Right. Is that responsible? No. But at least you didn't just literally leave it's, your kids. It's not without. necessarily not responsible. I mean, somebody was there. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if she just left her kids like straight up left them, that is a lot different. Okay. I don't think that's what happened, though. Okay. But obviously, she felt that the judge was going to look down on that and sure. it could hurt her chances. By those, by 60 standards, I absolutely believe that. Maybe yeah. even today. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. On top of all of this, she feared her husband had bugged her phone. So I'm sure she had to be careful conversing with her lawyer about these types of things. Bugged her phone? Yeah. And was listening in on her calls. In 1965? Yes. I guess maybe they did that, but... Yeah, they could do it. Yeah, but they could do it. The CIA, but can like... But the, the government had that stuff. Yeah. I, I mean... Regular people also had those capabilities, as we will come to find out. He was bugging her phone. So, yeah. It honestly all sounds incredibly exhausting to me. Sure. Everything she's dealing with. So after she fed her children and ended the call with her lawyer, they all hopped in the car so that Alice could try to find her husband's new residence. In an effort to bolster her chances of winning custody of their kids, she hoped that she could gain evidence that he was living with a woman. As the sun went down and she still hadn't found it, she decided to give up the search and head back home. At this point, the children's bedtime was fast approaching, so she got them ready for bed, had them say their prayers, and then she closed their window since the screen had been damaged and she didn't want bugs to be able to fly in. Yeah, that makes sense. And one of her um, other nannies was walking past her apartment around this time, and she actually heard the kids saying their prayers in bed, so... They're just in there like, Lord, give me the, just like screaming, like, <laughs> no, I don't. Our father who art in heaven. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think they had to scream. I'm uh, sure. Just saying like, yeah. how quiet was this neighborhood? <laughs> I guess quiet enough. Then she got back to work on custody related tasks, like throwing out old liquor bottles before she could finally relax. Because she's getting rid of the evidence. The reason that she had to throw out the old liquor bottles was because she knew that someone was going to be coming by to do an inspection related to the custody case. So they want to make sure that the children are in a safe environment and she doesn't want to have 40 yeah. bottles of vodka laying around. Yeah. I mean, okay. I, I, I mean, think it could have been two. That's a bit still, of an 40s yeah. an exaggeration. Of but course. yeah, yeah. She then called another man she had been dating named Joe Rorick, and he asked her to join him for a drink, but she told him she couldn't because she didn't have a babysitter. She helped her son to the bathroom around midnight, took their dog Brandy for a walk, and intended to go to bed at this point, but was interrupted by a call from her estranged husband regarding the $600 the maid claimed she owed her. She was pretty upset by the conversation and wasn't able to fall asleep right away after that, so she took Brandy, the dog, out again. Then she got in the bath and then finally got in bed around 3.30 a.m. The next morning, Alice awoke to find her two children gone. What? They should have been in their bedroom because they quite literally could not go anywhere else. She 
locked their bedroom door to keep the five-year-old Eddie out of the fridge at night because I guess he would raid the fridge. So I get that. Yeah. Noticing the open window, Alice believed her estranged husband had climbed in and grabbed the children from their beds in order to get back at her or hurt her in some way. Because remember, the night before, she remembers, she knows that she closed the window because yeah. she didn't want the bucks getting in. Now yeah, the window's knows, open. Yeah. So that's what her first thought is, oh my God, Eddie took them. Right. She called him frantically, but he said he had no idea what she was talking about. He didn't take the children, but he promised to come over right away to help her find them. As soon as he got there, the two of them called police together. I know I would think, why not call police right away? I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. Maybe he didn't live far and she was panicking and yeah, made a weird decision. Yeah. Or maybe she she the first thing she did was call him and then after he said no i didn't take them she decided to search around other places until he got there yeah a four and a five-year-old like they're not getting out of the window themselves no way no way like maybe a five-year-old maybe but four-year-olds that my experience with four-year-olds they're way too sweet and usually very nice yeah, and they don't do weird shit like that. And I I don't even know if they would be able to reach the lock or reach the window to pull it up depending on how high up it was. I know that the outside of it was high up enough that they did find a like a stroller type thing with something on top of it underneath the window. So, you know, they're thinking or at least Alice is thinking Maybe that's how the person got in. They stepped up onto that and then got into the window through there. Okay. So it's not like it's, you know, really low to the ground. But if if it's high enough for that to be the case, I would feel like they might get hurt if they tried to jump out themselves and wouldn't well, have made yeah. it that far. But once police arrived, they separated the two of them and asked them about the day leading up to their disappearance. So obviously, I just told you what Alice did, and this is what Eddie said he did. He said he began the day of July 13th around 7 a.m. playing golf at a golf course in Nassau County. He spent time drinking a few beers with a friend in the clubhouse at the golf course while they watched the Mets game on TV. And then he left around 2 p.m., at which point he embarked on an ongoing surveillance mission to spy on Alice. (laughs) There we go. Surveilling Alice was not something he did every once in a while. It had started to consume his life. He had bugged her phone just as she had suspected. And he had bugged her bedroom using a listening post that he set up in the basement below her apartment. He would regularly break into her apartment because he found comfort. it was an apartment. It wasn't a house. No, it wasn't a house. Oh, see, I was expecting it. I, I don't know why I thought it was a house. You, I think you said it was an apartment. I, I was picturing it wrong. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. He would regularly break into her apartment because he found comfort being near her stuff. That's so, creepy as fuck. Yeah, he's making a lot of really bad decisions. I just want to smell her sweater. Yeah, it's... Ugh. Yeah. So that day, in his you know effort to surveil her entire life... He drove to an area called Huntington to try to catch Alice meeting up with Joe, but he wasn't able to find her there. He spent nearly three hours doing this before returning home to watch TV. He left again at 11 p.m. to buy some food, which he brought home before leaving again to go to a bar, which he drank at till around 2.45 a.m. 
He then drove to Alice's apartment so that he could sit and peer into her bedroom window. Then he drove back home, at which point he called Alice regarding the maid's money. So so he was there at three o'clock in the morning? Yes. Looking into her window, yes. Sorry, one of our dogs is scratching in the background. Finally, he said he watched a movie on TV before falling asleep around 4 a.m. Interesting note, police went to look at the movie that he said he was watching on TV, and they found that it actually aired earlier in the night. So I don't know if maybe he just messed up you know, his timeline a little bit because he had been drinking or if maybe he wasn't telling the truth. I'm not sure. Okay, so if he had been... He may have seen her take the dog out the second time if he'd been there at that time because she said that she went and took the dog out. I would say it would be the first time that she took the dog out that he could have possibly seen because she took the dog out again after he called her and he had to go home to call her. Oh, that's right. But he doesn't say that he, you know, saw her take the dog out or anything. He just said that he looked in through her bedroom window and he saw he thought maybe he saw a light on or something like that. Okay. So, from the beginning, police looked at Alice suspiciously. She didn't fit the mold of what a woman, wife, or mother should be in 1965 and they clearly despised her for it. By 1965 standards. Right, Which that's what I mean. Which a lot of people still hold on to that bullshit, too. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yes, I don't mean that she she doesn't fit the mold of what a woman, wife, or mother should be. I mean, right. she doesn't fit the mold of what people expected her to be in 1965. And right. like you said, still today, there are a lot of people who would expect her to be that same type of person. Sure. Her relationships with other men were scrutinized by both police and the media, which ramped up its coverage when the remains of Missy were found. She was found by a young boy in a lot off 162nd Street, which was located about eight blocks away from the Regal Gardens apartment complex that Alice lived in. Oh, no. It was clear from the autopsy and evidence at the scene that Missy had died from asphyxiation. Detectives continued the search for Eddie Jr., obviously preparing themselves for the worst, to find his body. And they did. On July 19th, a father and son found Eddie Jr.'s body on an embankment located near the Van Wyck Expressway, which was about a mile away from Regal Gardens apartment complex. Since Eddie Jr.'s body had been out there for much longer than his sister, it was in an advanced state of decomposition and it had been partially eaten by wildlife in the area. Yeah. Because of this, his cause of death was unable to be verified. Investigators dug into the men that Alice had been dating because they're, you know, trying to follow leads, but they haven't really gotten any. They're just investigating the people. Anybody. With the closest proximity to the children. Yeah. Joe Rorick was questioned, but his story seemed to check out. They even gave him two tests using sodium pentothal, better known as truth serum, which he passed. I mean, it's probably not the best science, but yeah, he passed. (laughs) Probably terrified of the outcome, if he declined, Joe agreed to help the police investigate Alice. They had him invite her to motel rooms that were bugged, but she didn't end up saying anything of evidentiary value. Yeah, because she didn't do it. Well. Well, I mean, I don't think she did it. Go ahead. They also questioned her other boyfriend, Anthony Grace. He initially told police that he was in the Bronx the entire night of July 13th and into the early morning of July 14th, 
And he told them that he hadn't really had a lot of contact with Alice since the custody battle began. He was also, you know, married. So he had, you know, other women taking up his time and he had other women outside of that taking up his time. Goodness. This guy's a real piece of work. Yeah. But he admitted this was a lie in his second interview. He told detectives in the second interview that he actually went out to dinner with his wife before going to a restaurant called Ripple's with several quote-unquote bowling girls, a name given to young women who are married, but tell their spouses they're going to go bowling when they're actually going out to drink and hook up with other people. I don't fucking know where any of that came from, but that's awesome. that's what that's what that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. It, wow. Okay. I know. It's such a random. People have been doing this shit forever and they just tried to make it look like they weren't, you know? Oh, Back yeah. Back in the 60s, 50s, 40s, 20s, whatever. Yeah. The, yeah. People have always done this. Yeah. In the wake of the murders, Alice and Eddie had leaned on one another for support. This resulted in them getting back together and moving into a new apartment in Queens. Investigators bugged the apartment and ran 24-7 surveillance on the couple, but they mostly focused on Alice. They weren't really focused on Eddie. Okay. Alice was well aware of the bugs, though, and she let police know that she knew. She would often answer the phone and say, drop dead, you guys. So (laughs) needless, I I know, needless to say, the surveillance efforts went unrewarded with any evidence from phone calls but they were able to hear Alice hooking up with men in her bedroom of the new apartment. Officers used She this knows it's bugged and she's just continuing I on. I don't know if she knew that the bedroom was bugged. Oh, she knew that the phone was bugged. Yeah, but I, I don't know if she didn't know that the bedroom was bugged either. Yeah. You know? Uh, that's what I would do. I'd be in there faking it. Yeah, but I mean... Like... You have two dead kids, like... Could end up bad to do that. Just doing it anyway. Yeah. They were, you know, they did kind of use this against her. Yeah. But I think everyone deals with grief in different ways. And I'm sure she is not the only person in the world who has ever used sex to cope with grief. Officers used this to manipulate Alice's relationships. They would call Eddie and tell him that Alice was having sex with Joe. And then they would flatten Joe's tires so that Eddie would hopefully come home and catch them in the act. Of course, Eddie would call Alice demanding to know if she was with Joe, which she would deny. And this would tip off Joe, who was able to have his car towed from the parking lot before Eddie got back home. So <laughs> their plans never really worked, but they were act. they were trying to you know interfere with her life. Alice ended up leaving Eddie and moving in with her boss at the time, who was also married. Officers called that man's wife to tell her about the affair resulting in her coming from the married couple's primary residence in Georgia to catch her husband in the act. When she arrived, she destroyed all of Alice's clothes and police aided her in the destruction of Alice's stuff. What? Yeah. I mean, they are, they're harassing her to the point, like they are trying to make her life hell basically. Cause they think she did it. Yeah. And they're going over, over the, their bounds, but that's why, right? Yeah. Police uncovered lots of evidence of Alice's infidelity, and they may have proven she wasn't the best wife, but they hadn't uncovered any evidence of her involvement in her children's murders. A year and a half after the murders, the current Queens District Attorney, Nat Hentel, had been defeated in his bid for re-election. 
So I don't know why this is when he decided to convene a grand jury to try to indict Alice, but he did. Um, he wanted to try to indict her before his term term was up. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. But that first grand jury did not indict her. Okay. The next DA, Tommy Mackle, convened a second grand jury, which also didn't indict. Desperate for an indictment, a third grand jury was convened. This time, the DA's office introduced a new witness named Sophie Iromersky. I think it's how you say it. Sophie Iromersky. Yeah. It's a hell of a last name. Apparently, the DA's office found Sophie through a letter she had written them in which she claimed to have seen a man and a woman walk down the street with a bundle of blankets and a little boy walking with them. Sophie claimed they threw the bundle of blankets into the backseat of a car before the woman and little boy climbed into the back and the man got in the driver's seat. The problem was that Sophie didn't sign her name, so they had to use context clues from her letter to figure out where she lived, and then from there, they used handwriting samples from the tenants in that building to verify her identity. So they were able to find her, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why they couldn't just go and ask people like, hey, did you write this letter right. or did you send in this tip? I don't know why they had to use handwriting samples because you would think if she wrote the tip in, if they came to her and said, hey, did you write this tip? She would just say yes. Right. So that part kind of confused me, but that's what happened. Okay. Apparently, Sophie's testimony was just what the DA needed to get the indictment, but only for one of the children. Since Sophie said she saw the little boy walking with the man and woman, it was believed that Missy's bottle was in the bundle of blankets. So the indictment was only going to be for the murder of Missy, not of Eddie Jr. Okay. That's odd, but okay. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm going to take both kids and only kill one of them. And I'm going to give the other one to somebody else. Yeah, come on. But like Eddie's found dead as well. So I know that's what like, I mean. Like, yeah. What? Where, why, how it doesn't really, yeah, it doesn't really make sense. I understand. Like if you don't have enough evidence, you're just trying to get, get a conviction. conviction. So I do yeah. get that. But I mean, there's like no evidence in this case so far. So I don't know. Right. But all right. Just hearsay. Yeah. The press latched on to this case viciously. They painted Alice as a whore, basically. Sure. A woman who cared about nothing other than having sex with as many men as possible and who hated her estranged husband so much that she killed her children just to spite him. 
The prosecution was able to point the finger at Alice using some circumstantial evidence, though. But depending on how you look at this evidence, it can either strengthen the prosecution's case or, in my opinion, or... In my opinion, it it could either strengthen or weaken their case. Depends on how you look at it. I can't wait to hear. So the medical examiner, Dr. Milton Halpern, testified that the contents in Missy's stomach, which involved a a mac and cheese-like substance, put her death around two hours since the last time she had eaten. This contradicted Alice's statements to police that she had seen the children alive and in their beds around midnight when she helped Eddie up to go to the bathroom because... If we're saying that the last time that they had eaten was when Alice made them dinner, right? then they would have been dead within two hours of that time. Right. And st- yeah. So they're saying she's lying about that. She didn't actually see them. She's lying. She killed them. It also contradicts. Well, well, she either didn't see them and is lying about seeing them. Or she's lying and killed them. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know why she would lie about helping Eddie to, up to go to the bathroom, but... Well, I don't know. It also contradicted what Alice told officers she made the children for dinner. She told them she made veal and string beans for them. One of the investigators, Detective Pearson, Later on, not in the beginning of the investigation, but after hearing this evidence, said he saw a box of frozen manicotti in the trash and some leftovers in the fridge. So he's thinking she didn't just feed them veal and string beans. She also fed them like pasta. But he collected no evidence to back the statement up, nor did he mention it in his reports. So there were no, you know, photographs of this frozen meal in the trash or anything like that. Why would you think to do that necessarily? Maybe if you're an extremely good investigator and crime scene person, you know, you might think of that, but I mean, usually they take pictures of the crime scene. So trash can. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought of it, but I'm also not uh, a CSI. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So, You can take that evidence and say Alice is lying about, you know, what she fed them and the last time she saw them. So she probably killed them. Or is it possible that whoever took the children fed them another meal? Because there's no evidence to dispute that. Yeah, they could have they could have killed them the next day. Yeah. I mean, say someone comes in at their comes in through their bedroom window at 1230 a.m., takes them feeds them a meal to maybe calm them down or whatever. Right. And then kills them two hours later. Sure. Any of these things. Yeah. The prosecution used Joe Rorick as their star witness. Remember, that's one of her boyfriends. Mm -hmm. At this point, he hates Alice. His life had basically fallen apart because of his involvement with the trial. His affair had been published front and center for the world to see, resulting in his marriage ending I'm and sorry. That's not why his life fell apart. His life fell apart because he was in that fucking position to begin with. Yes, exactly. You don't cheat yeah. on your wife. She doesn't find out about you cheating on her because you didn't fucking cheat on her. I, never mind. I'm no. about to go on a rant. That is um, an incredibly good point. 
he just apparently does not want to take any accountability for his actions. Look at what she did to me. Yeah. Temptress. Yeah. I mean, he really did, I think, play into that. Yeah. It's her. Storyline. I'm weak and she, you know, took yeah. advantage of me. Yeah. Fucking asshole. So he told the jury that Alice had said to him, quote, she did not want Eddie to have the children. She would rather see the children dead than Eddie have them. And he also said that when they were in a motel, she was crying and she kept saying that the children will, quote, understand. They know it was for the best. Joseph, please forgive me. I killed her. That's what she or that's what he says she said to him. But how could this be possible when all of their conversations in those motels had been recorded? It's impossible. Like that doesn't that this guy's a fucking asshole. Yeah. And when he says this, she kind of has an outburst in the courtroom and stands up and says, like, how could you say this? You're lying. Right. Oh, my God. Because how hurtful would that right. be? And also, how hopeless and out of control would you feel watching that happen? I would have an outburst in court. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And her defense attorney didn't really question him about it for some reason. <laughs> possibly. Possibly because he had actually represented Joe in the past. So he came to the judge the next day and tried to recuse himself because or tried to get himself off yeah, the case because he had. Him. Yeah, I don't think it is either because he had represented Joe and it was a you know conflict. There was a conflict of interest. Wait a felt. minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This was this a surprise witness. Like all of a sudden. Oh, my God, it's Joe. Yeah, I don't understand why he didn't try to get off the case as soon as he realized that Joe was going to be a witness for the prosecution. I have no clue, but. But also like, why does he have to leave? You know, the guy pretty well cross examine him. Yeah, I know. I don't. That's the other thing I don't understand either. Like, did you just feel bad because you know the guy like in your maybe acquaintances with him? You didn't want to cross examine him. I don't understand. There might be some sort of precedent that we're not aware of. Yeah, that's true. Of course. As a matter of fact, I'm 100% sure that there are many precedents that we don't know about. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah. it We're just, podcasters. We're not... Uh, attorneys. Attorneys. Yeah. Yet. Uh, do either of us have plans to be an attorney? No, but you don't know what life's going to do. That's very true. I didn't plan on being a software developer. That's, Look at me now. That's very true. Sophie, the witness from the grand jury, also took the stand. Remember, she's the... Do you remember Sophie? Yeah. Okay. She has a badass last name. Yes. For whatever reason, Sophie added in a detail that Alice had also brought her pregnant dog with them when she was disposing of Missy's body. The and pregnant dog. Yeah. And she heard the man who was with Alice and her son and now the pregnant dog say like something like hurry up. And then Alice responds back with something like, I can't, the dog's pregnant. Like, that's why we can't, you know, go super fast. What? So I don't know. I, I don't know. That's really weird. Yes. The, this part. Okay. Tell me what you think about this. Okay. Brandy, the dog, yep. was in fact pregnant, but Alice and other witnesses said that they had no idea that she was pregnant. They said 
They were all flabbergasted when she gave birth to a puppy a week after the murders. So do you think that maybe the prosecution told Sophie that Alice's dog was pregnant because now they know that the dog has, you know, had a puppy. So they know obviously it was pregnant. And that's why she added it in to try to give the, you know, give herself more credibility. Like that seems like that's got to be what happened. I don't know if the prosecution quote like told her to do that or if she just did it or, or what? I mean, do you Um, think that she found out somehow that Brandy was pregnant and had a puppy? She might have found out the dog had a puppy. I mean, if if she knew the dog had a puppy, if the dog had a puppy a, a week after the murder, that might have been she might have been privy to that knowledge. That yeah, that's what I'm wondering because like where did that detail come from? Unless because obviously she's telling the truth and this actually happened. Could be, but also like someone could have been like called her and been like, "Dude, did you know the dog was pregnant?" Yeah, yeah. Because like. If all of a sudden one of our dogs had a surprise dog, puppy, litter, that'd be really weird. I mean, first of all, they're both males. That'd be very weird. Yeah. But it, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah. So I would ask people, I'd be like, dude, you wouldn't believe what happened. You know, I'd say some stuff like that. I'd ask them if they have experienced that. I would, you know, I'd want to talk about that. Right, but obviously Alice is not friends with Sophie, so it didn't come from Alice, but come from you're husband, saying that it, from it could have gotten around and yeah. Sophie could have heard, or the papers could have published it and Sophie and could have read it there. And Sophie added that detail in to make her account more believable or more credible, or is this just true and it actually happened? Well, um, my first thought, and this is fucked up, but if you're going to bury or dispose of a, a dead four-year-old, you don't bring her dog with you because that dog is going to be very attached to that, that little girl and be very upset, right? Like that's not going to be, it's not something you would just do. So why would you bring the dog? That was exactly what I thought, too. Um, I mean, the dog isn't just Missy's. It's the family's dog. But still, yeah, yeah, it's going to be very. Right. That's that's Uh, that's Missy's dog. Like to Missy, that's her dog. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like the dog has a. I mean, unless it's an outdoor dog or something like that. No, it's not. That dog has a special relationship with that little kid. Both of them. Both of them. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, there's just no way. Yeah, no, that was my first thought too, was it does not make any sense to bring the dog for multiple reasons. Like you said, it's going to be very attached to both kids. It's going to want to protect them. Also, it's going to slow them down. A lot. When trying to dispose of, you know, Missy's body. Yeah, we can't even get the dogs to walk around the neighborhood quickly. Right. So it just doesn't make sense. To bring the dog to me, it seems like a really weird detail. And it seems like it's very possible that Sophie was either told to add that in by the prosecution team or... She heard about it and got creative. Yeah. Because she's an idiot. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so we don't know. Because it is possible that you bring the dog, right? I mean, that's not... I mean, that's not not beyond a reasonable doubt, right? I mean, like, you could. You could. Yeah. It just seems weird. So... 
Alice's attorney decided to put her on the stand to give jurors a better idea of who she was. They had all been led to believe that she was an icy woman who cared more about having sex than she did about her children, and her attorney hoped that putting her up would allow jurors to see that that just wasn't true. Yeah. But this was risky as it opened Alice up to cross-examination from the prosecutor. Right. And the prosecutor wanted to focus on Alice's love life before and after the deaths of her children, which we know is going to be problematic for her. Because there's, you know, a lot of ideas about, like we were talking about earlier, what a woman, what a wife, what a mother should be. And she doesn't necessarily fit that mold because she had relationships, which is she's not with her estranged husband anymore. It shouldn't matter, but it does matter to them. Yeah, because they don't want to admit that they're bowling girls. What? The jurors. Oh, themselves. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or all the other fucked up shit they're doing. They they don't want anybody to know that stuff. Yeah. We sin in in the dark. (laughs) Yeah. You know, this this woman is just more out about who she actually is. Yeah. And she shouldn't, I mean. And maybe she isn't. She probably never thought that, you know, her entire love life was going to be put on display for everyone because she probably did not think i mean who the i mean this is her worst nightmares happening right now so yeah all right so the prosecutor asks her about the night that eddie caught her in bed with a man named carl andrade okay he asked her about someone she hooked up with at the world's fair he asked her about the cruise that she took with Anthony Grace. Oh, wait, no, actually, he asks her about a different cruise that she took with Anthony Grace, not the one to the Bahamas. The Bahamas. It was a different one to Atlantic City. And he asks her about going skinny dipping at Joe Rorick's home after her children had died. Again, people grieve differently. I don't think that that means that she's, you know, definitely guilty of killing her children. If I saw that in conjunction with other evidence, yeah, that looks bad. Yep. But I don't think that you can convict someone on that alone. I don't either. Just because you don't like somebody doesn't mean they killed their kids. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And then he asked her about having her having sex with her kids barber in the back of a car behind the barber shop which she responded to saying yeah she did go on dates with the barber but she doesn't remember the incident in the car so i don't remember or i didn't do it she said she couldn't recall it a lot of people you know when they're in court and they don't want to say yes or no they say i don't recall cuz uh, yeah you can't prove whether someone recalls something or not right so it's just a way to not have to say, yeah, I do remember having sex with my kid's barber, you know, in a car. She just behind fed up with this barbershop. fucking line of questioning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The trial lasted almost two weeks before the jury found Alice guilty of manslaughter in the first degree. And the judge Whoa. sentenced her to five to 20 years. Wait a minute. Manslaughter? Yeah. How do you convict a manslaughter of the 
strangulation of your four-year-old daughter? I mean, a lot of times, again, we're not attorneys, but a lot of times when there's not enough evidence to prove like first degree murder or whatever, they drop it down to manslaughter. Yeah, it's bullshit. Obviously, Alice's lawyers appealed her sentence and in trying to appeal her sentence, they found out that three of the jurors in the trial had visited the area that Sophie Iromersky claimed she saw Alice, the man, the child, and the pregnant dog from. <laughs> so they went there and they looked out from there and tried to decide if they would be able to see what Sophie said she saw. Yeah. This resulted in the appellate division of New York, of New York Supreme Court, ordering a new trial for Alice because they concluded, quote, the net effect of the jurors' visits was that they made themselves secret, untested witnesses, not subject to any cross-examination, unquote. Right. Yep, that's what exactly. New York's highest court of appeals agreed with the ruling, saying the unauthorized visits were inherently prejudicial to the defendant and that the matter of guilt was not so overwhelming that we can say as a matter of law that the error could not have influenced the verdict. Right. So the new trial began in 1971. This time, the prosecution was unable to try Alice with anything greater than manslaughter in regards to Missy because of double jeopardy. Right. So they decided to try her for the murder of Eddie as well. Joe Rourke testified against Alice again, but this time he said that she had told him that she killed Missy and consented to the murder of her son. So he changed what he said because remember the first time he said they were in a hotel room she was crying to him and she said, I did it. I killed her. I'm so sorry. Or like they would understand or something. Right. The children will understand. They know it was for the best. Joseph, please forgive me. I killed her. Now he's saying that she actually said I killed her and I consented to the murder of Eddie Jr. Whatever the fuck that means. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. And this asshole is just saying whatever needs to be said per what's on trial. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's so clear that he's changing his testimony based on right. the facts that the prosecution feels they are able to prove or not prove or try are wanting to try to prove. Right. Prosecutors unveiled another witness named Tina DeVita who claimed she had seen the same thing as Sophie as she was driving home that night with her husband. So this woman, Tina, is saying, I also saw a woman, a man, a young boy, and a dog walking, carrying a sack. Uh-huh. But Alice's attorney found a man named Marvin Weinstein who testified that he, his wife, his dog and his daughter had actually walked by Sophie's window in the early morning of July 14th. And he said he carried his daughter under his arm, which may have looked as though he was carrying a sack. Yeah. So he found the guy that walked in front of the apartment. That's yeah. A, that, or at least said he did. Yeah. Yeah. That's aggressive. Yeah. How do you find that guy? I don't know. But I guess, fun. I guess, you know, I mean, he should have stepped forward in the beginning if this is true. But wouldn't you, like, if it was us and this was, like, all over the media, babe, we walked by that house that night. You know, like, we'd have to call. Yeah, but I can also see someone being like, there's no fucking way that, like, this is happening 
to me that that I am the person that walked past and they're mistaking me for her. Like, what are the chances? It seems like such bad luck and such like it seems like the chances would be so low that I can see a lot of people talking themselves out of coming forward with that. And depending on how much you watch the news, you might not even be aware of what's going on with the trial. Especially then because you wouldn't, you didn't have social media that you're doom scrolling every day. Right. Exactly. So he might not have found out until, you know, a long, long time after when he read a random article about the trial. Yeah. Her attorney also brought up a man named Vincent Colabella, who had apparently told another prisoner that he was hired by Eddie, her estranged husband, to kill the children, but he sabotaged the defense's efforts by claiming to have no knowledge of this once he actually took the stand. So that did not help them. (laughs) The prosecutor ended his closing statement by telling the jury that Alice doesn't have the courage to tell the world that she killed her children since she didn't testify this time around because obviously they didn't want to put her back on the stand and have her be subject to cross-examination again because that went terribly the first time. Right, and inconsistencies can be picked apart and all kinds of shit. Yeah. So, you know, the prosecutor is trying to use that against her, which is not really fair. This trial ended with two guilty convictions, guilty of manslaughter in the first degree in the death of Missy and murder in the first degree in the death of Eddie. Alice's defense attorneys, of course, appealed these convictions as well. And two years after the second trial, the appellate division threw out both guilty verdicts, stating the prosecution had not proven beyond a reasonable doubt that Eddie's death was the result of a criminal act. And they noted the prosecutor should not have attacked Alice for her refusal to testify. Absolutely not. The higher court of appeals agreed with throwing out the conviction for Eddie's murder, but they disagreed with throwing out the conviction of manslaughter for Missy's death. They agreed that the prosecutor should not have attacked Alice for deciding not to testify, but they believed it did not impact the trial very much considering the amount of evidence they had, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because they didn't really have a lot of evidence, but that's what they said. After the appellate division threw out both guilty verdicts, they let Alice out. Yeah. But after the higher court of appeals said, no, we're only going to throw one of these out, they took her back to prison. What? Yes. She continued to serve her five to 20 year sentence and eventually became eligible for a work release program that allowed her to leave during the week to work as a secretary. She was also allowed to leave every other weekend and do whatever she wanted when she left on those weekends, which she used that time to hang out on a luxury cruise ship owned by her previous boyfriend, Anthony Grace. She ended up marrying Anthony while she was still in prison. And obviously this got a lot of people riled up because a lot of people believed that she was guilty and, you know, Anthony didn't. Yeah. In September of 1977, Alice was granted parole. At this point, her and Anthony moved away and she, you know, tried to live as private a life as possible. Yeah. And she succeeded in doing that. I mean, the press really stopped bothering her and it doesn't seem like people know a lot about her, you know, her life after that. So I think she was able to kind of just start over, start over and live a life away from 
the spotlight. Probably helps that she married a guy that can, you know, kidnap people and take them to the Bahamas on his boat. Yeah, absolutely. Financially, anyway. Yes, absolutely. I mean, he could afford to, yeah, they could right. go anywhere and yeah, stay there. Yeah, he could just, he could support her. Yeah. She didn't have to go get a job. Right. She didn't have to go out in public eye all the time. Yeah, yeah. To this day, there really isn't much else known about the case. There's no clear evidence to point to Alice, but there also isn't any clear evidence to point to anybody else. So her proximity to the children obviously made her a suspect in the first place, but it seems like investigators got tunnel vision pretty quickly. And I think looking back on it, a lot of people agree with that. But it's just really unfortunate that there, it, it almost seems like completely unfinished and like there hasn't been justice for the kids because there was just so little evidence that Alice did it that it's really hard to feel like, you know, this is a closed case and we've found the killer. Like, I'm not saying yeah. that she for sure didn't do it. Right. But, but we don't know. I don't see a whole lot of evidence that she did do it. Beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah. Right? Like, no, that is not what's being told to me right now. No, there's absolutely not evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. No fingerprints. There's no like, oh, the it was obviously open from the inside. You know, the screen was pushed in or like outward instead of inward. There's nothing like that. No. You know, yeah. the damaged screen, like, how did it get out? Okay. Like what, you know, there's all these things. Yeah. So I know some people theorize that it was Eddie that killed his children, that he did come in and kidnap them and he killed them to get back at Alice, which he was right there that night. So, you know, I I can't, I can't say like, yeah, I definitely feel like he did it because, you know, there's not any evidence to prove that he did it, but they also didn't look for any evidence. It doesn't seem to see if he did it. Well, so basically what you're telling me is that we can't be sure. Yeah. And it's just really unfortunate because two little kids, you know, didn't get justice and, or potentially didn't get justice. They either lived through a horrible or died by the hands of the person they're supposed to trust the most or they were taken out of their bedroom and then murdered. Yeah. And for that to go down, I would think it would probably be someone they know. I would think so too, especially, you know, cause she was sleeping in a bedroom, not that far from them and she didn't hear them scream or anything. So it was an apartment. It wasn't a big house. Yeah. Like you would think that you would hear them scream if an, if a strange man came into their bedroom and took them, they'd probably scream. If yep. like their dad came in and took them, maybe they don't scream because, right. you know, you might be startled awake, but you're four and five. Your dad's here. It's totally cool with me. That <laughs> oh, dad's taking us on an adventure. Let's go. Yeah. Don't yeah. tell mom. It'll yeah. be fun. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not sure who did it. No one's sure who did it, but it's just a really, really tragic case. And either way, if Alice Crimmins did it or not, it is very, very, very clear that misogyny played a huge role, basically the entire role in her trials. Yeah, that's bullshit. Yep. 
So yeah. So that that's the story of the Crimmins family. And like I said, the book that is inspired by it is called Little Deaths by Emma Flint. And we will be back very, very soon. Thank you all so, so much for listening. We appreciate you all so much. We love you all so much. Make sure to follow us on TikTok, Instagram. And if you guys have any suggestions, email us at darkoriginspod at gmail.com. Okay. Thank you all so much. I love you. Bye. Bye. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.